Accomplishment Coaching is proud to present the following fine programming. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. AccomplishmentCoaching.com. Welcome to The Coaching Show with your host, Master Certified Coach, Christopher McCollum. Well, thank you. That is the voice of, you know, we talk about this every time, don't we, Alex? I'm not going to, I'm not going to identify Dick Warren's voice anymore. I mean, he's, he's your hero, you know, I don't He's an extraordinary man. He's an extraordinary man. Not that you're not. That's the voice of uh, Alex Terranova. He's a professional certified coach or so he says, Alex, uh, also the author of fictional authenticity, the purveyor of the dream Mason. Dot com, also the Dream Mason podcast. What else do you do in your spare time that you Hashtag can tell not us about? An ex- not an extraordinary man. I want to keep the bar at a level that I can meet for everyone. Reputation uh, management. I understand it's a yeah, thing. Yeah, that's good. That's a good term. Reputation management. Um, what else do I do in my spare time? Um, well, I'm launching another podcast soon. It's on its way. A new podcast with. Let me let me ask you about that. Let me ask you about yeah, that. Yeah, sure. Why? Are there not enough podcasts in the world? Are, so, are we not? Are we going to keep going till everybody has three, five, ten? What's the deal? So this is how I'm going to put it. I don't. This doesn't apply to me because I'm I'm the the anomaly in this. But I bet if I came to your house and I said, "Hey, Christopher, let's play a game." There's probably a whole closet full of them, right? There right. is. There right? is. There's never There's a enough different game. closet full of different games too, but you don't get it in that. Exactly. Huh? There's never enough games, right? There's always more games. You can like yeah. always get more. The people are always inventing them. I kind and of a great podcasts. gift, a great holiday gift. Yeah. Game. I kind of think yeah. podcasts are like games. Like we keep adding them. There's never enough. There's more things to provide. There's more fun things to do and talk about. And uh, I'm not over here creating like my own anymore what what seems to happen now is people come to me and they want to talk about how do i make a podcast how do i create a podcast can i get your thoughts on my podcast and this uh, a good friend of mine came to me and basically shared her idea and then asked me if i would co-host it as a different perspective or different voice and because the topic it's all on energy it's all on like quantum physics and like like ancient kind of science mythology things. It was like topics I don't know much about and people I wouldn't normally interact with. So I was like, yeah, this sounds great. It sounds like a place where I get to learn and I get to be the person who doesn't know anything, which is actually not an anomaly for me. Um, <laughs> so I said, yes. So that's, that's, that's why I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to create any of my own podcasts anymore. My, the Dream Mason podcast is enough. I feel like we're stepping over the most important part of what you just shared, which is all the closet metaphors. Is there anything that you'd like to talk about here? Um, you have a room in your house with games that I wouldn't be allowed <laughs> Let's to move see. On. <laughs> All right. Uh, our guest today is... <laughs> Wait. Um, you actually said something too, which, how is it different than books? There's not more podcasts than there are books, and we keep coming up with books. So what's the difference to you between podcasts and like books and that kind of information or move or movies or music? I'm gonna go with literacy. I mean, no. I know I know what that means, but how does that apply? Some people are some people can't hear podcasts. They don't have that ability. Oh man. Wow. Bringing the differently abled into this. But they okay. can't, right? So like every and some people like, can't read. Some people can't read. We're providing services across the board. 
I feel like we've we've gone astray, and I also feel like we may have lost the three listeners that we've uh, that we've worked so hard to get the, over these years. Hey, okay, I do uh, want you to answer the question though. What's the difference between the music and the podcast? And well, the no, books? I take you, Yeah, I take your point. I mean, certainly, I have a yeah. In a long time ago, before you were born, we had these large discs of vinyl, and they you would use a certain type of player to get the music out of them. I have a collection of those. As you know, I have a ton of books, right? A ton of books. So your point's well taken. Like there's information, there's data, there's value. And the question is, you know, will we go spend the time to find it wherever it's, wherever it is. I also have a ton of movies, you know, in, in addition to all the streaming services. So VHS, that tells you how old I am, but I think you make a good point. And um, I think the, the tough part for me is, uh, valuing or being able to rate what's worth our time. Right. And for example, this conversation, no, I'm teasing the, but you catch my point, right? Like Mm -hmm. we've all written, we've all written, sorry. We've all read bad books or books that didn't provide value. We've all seen movies that we felt like, I mean, I still feel like Kevin Spacey owes me two hours and 17 bucks from KPAX. You know, there are just a lot of things out there that are, um, that are not worth our time. So I'm, I love that that's your issue with Kevin Spacey. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it when I said it. I, I mean, he walked right example. into that one. It was like, <laughs> this is a bad example. I could have easily gone in a, in a different direction, but never Ryan Reynolds. Let's move on. Uh, can we talk about our guest? He's, he's patiently waiting. He's an extraordinary man with lots of credentials. Or all, all I want to talk about, though, now is our podcasts and the difference between podcasts and books and and such. Excellent. Excellent. And then relate it back to leadership. That's the voice of Dr. Benjamin Ritter. He's a leadership and career coach. He's regional learning manager. That's hard to say. Regional learning manager for YPO, a national speaker, a podcaster and an author in his own right. Over 10 years of experience in coaching and a background in organizational leadership and adult learning theory. He's guided hundreds of professionals towards creating a career they love. He's impacted thousands. And um, these days, you're talking all about leadership, but it sounds like we're going to start by talking about podcasts, yes? Well, I think I think so. I guess I think it, it brings up a good, important point of, you know, what do you enjoy spending your time on? And, and I think the question of why that I heard was was not for, hey, we have too many podcasts in the world. It was why as an entrepreneur and business owner, do you want to create more podcasts? And then you kind of honed it down to the fact that, well, Alex isn't creating more podcasts. He, it's almost like as an author, you're just writing an excerpt and you're getting all the benefits of being in that book and being published again without actually having to do a lot of the work from what I understand. So why not, if it's something you enjoy, it's a value of yours, it benefits your business, you get to have conversations, you get to be in front of a new audience, you know, why not be included in a new media medium that reaches audience that potentially is your target clients or just gets your brand out into the world. Boom. But we would I think I got a little serious moded, though right now. I said back in the day, moded, Christopher. Gotcha. <laughs> I like for example, thing. like I mean like like for example, I <laughs> um I, I I create a lot of events. And that's actually how I mean how some of our, you know, Alex and I got connected and how some things got put together because I built my brand off of my enjoyment of being in a room with people or teaching and instructing or engaging or getting people to have conversations they wouldn't normally have. And it's like, that's what I've been drawn to. And that's what I keep doing. 
it's you make you make great points and i can't tell if alex if you want in here or not and and i trust that you'll jump in when you do okay <clears throat> so you've schooled me both of you first is uh I, I love this notion of a podcast being like an opportunity to to send your message out in the universe more Right. So wherever Alex is, people are getting a, a slice of his viewpoint, his books, his they're finding out more about how to find out more about his work. Uh, the same is true for you. Are you a guest on frequent guest on podcasts? And do you like to do that? Do you create your own? What what's your I, wait? Podcast? Is this a podcast? I feel like I feel like I just got tricked. Is this, is this a podcast? I thought we were just connecting to have a conversation. No, no this is just a conversation. <laughs> Alex is in charge of podcasts. Uh, oh, OK, OK, good. Good to know. Do you, but is my, is my question fair? Like, like should a budding entrepreneur or someone who loves to uh, provide information, guidance, or uh, leadership be putting themselves out there for podcasts? You, you feel like it's not a waste of time. It's a good investment of your energy and focus. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to tie this right back to just an important, uh, important aspect of leadership is communicating your values and your vision and where you're going in life and being very consistent in your brand and podcasting allows you to do that. It allows you to show up if you have a clear and concise message and to convey that to the world to hopefully inspire others, but also, also like gather and create a community around you and your beliefs and your ideals to hopefully promote your vision and values and mission even more. And so like even within, within an organization, you know, if you're not communicating in every chance that you get your brand, your mission, your story and what your beliefs are, then you're you're missing out because people just like and if, by the way, if you're showing up and giving a different message, then you're in trouble. So it's, it's, it's not just being on podcasts. It's also how you are on podcasts and how you communicate your message. Uh, but I think it's a great opportunity for business owners to be exposed to new audiences and also to practice saying their story and to practice their message and to get very concise on it. So it's kind of like when you're looking for a new job, you don't want your, you know, your dream job to be your only interview is because no matter what you're going to learn along the way. So I think there's a lot of benefits. You reminded me too, like we live in a time where people want to work with coaches, some, some people, some coaches, um, because of the relationship, because of the value that they get from the relationship. I was having this conversation yesterday and Tony Robbins charges a million dollars a year. You're not paying a million dollars a year to work with him for his wisdom. You can get that from a lot of places. I would assert that you're working, paying a million dollars a year because you want to be in the relationship with him because you believe the relationship and that connection is worth beyond that amount of money. And I think there's people that care about that and there's people that don't, right? Some people are like, oh, I'm just going to go grab that course. I'm going to do everything it says. I'm going to grab that book. And I, I think what I heard in kind of Ben, what you're saying is like part of that leadership, that community, those ideals, that vision is like for someone like me, I'm painting that you get to be in a relationship with me in all these different places. And in that relationship, you can find out if, hey, am I the right person for you? Do we have the right connection before you ever even show up to talk to me? Or if you don't want to talk to me, you can like, you know, watch me from a distance and be in a relationship that way, which, which is something that actually didn't exist, right? A hundred years ago, 50 years ago, there might've been a book and that was kind of it. Uh, so true. I, I think back on the podcast that I follow, not religiously, but like I listen to them a lot. A lot of other ones I listen to every now and then. They're the podcast where I feel like I'm connected with the hosts. I feel like I'm part of their life. They're, they joke, there's some humor, they go off script a little bit. It's not just this, this type of interview style type of questions. And if you can 
if you can have that type of story and help your audience feel like they they are connected to you, they are part of your social circle, they are part of a community and a movement, then I think you can create some some real traction with whatever you're trying to put out into the world. This is this is interesting to me. I've heard you say community a few different times. And first of all, thank you so much for your awareness or whatever guides you to use that word instead of the dreaded word that I've heard so much from mostly white uh, leadership people around tribes. So thank you for using community and being clear and um, responsible for your language. But as you speak about community, I think about the leaders that I've enjoyed working with. And it was because they they communicated, as you said so beautifully, their values, but also a, a vision of something that was larger that I could participate in. Right. Now I don't know that I don't know that this dovetails with the Tony Robbins thing, because maybe so, you know, the the notion that there's a giant within or something like that. But often uh, even in an organizational setting, like we can do this better we can be better. We can beat the competition. You know, I'm thinking about all the, all the different uh, visions I've been enrolled in or excited about to follow a leader towards that vision. Is, is such a vision uh, important in building this community or is it just something that I'm bringing in that's not related? I think there are so many components of that because part of it is also just ego to be able to say like, Hey, I worked with Tony Robbins or, Hey, I work for Amazon or some of these companies or, Hey, I don't work for any of those people. Cause that's how I, you know, identify myself and what I right. feel is important in the world. I'm a, dis I'm a disruptor. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think community is important just for, you know, also self-identity and outside of the community overall. Uh, but the, the vision is incredibly important. It's, you know, what I just was working with a client yesterday on creating basically running documents for their organizational short and long term vision, but also for each one of their individual employees, because a community and I'll use that word again, and is only, you know, as strong as every single component, like right? you don't have a community if you don't have people within that community. And so basically what you need to ensure is that you have a, an audience of self-leadership, of self-leaders. And so I talk to self, I talk about self-leadership a lot and you have to ensure that each one of the, each one of the individuals that makes up the whole is similar in terms of like what that vision is and what those values are. And they can't be if it's not discussed. They can't be also if the leader isn't having conversations with them to help nudge them in a certain direction or to, to screen them to see if they're a great fit or to help them craft their environment in the workplace to be a fit. And so often it's just like, just do your work, get it done instead of, you know, you need to have this foundation because if you don't have that foundation, that's where miscommunication happens. That's where people start feeling resentment. They start feeling stuck at their job. They stop seeing the importance of it. Uh, you, you, you become less goal oriented. And so there's, there's, there's more overall conflict. There's silo, there's a silo mentality because people don't feel safe. And so a lot of this comes down to people just not being on the same page with each other. It sounds so simple, like as I say it, uh, but it is really important. I know, it's, I know it's Alex's turn, but I want to follow up. I, I, I love what you said because it's echoed what I remember of uh, McChrystal's book, Team of Teams, where they were, where he broke down after the fact, some of the, some of the issues in uh, fighting Al-Qaeda in Iraq. And 
the number one issue was communication, right? Everybody was the most highly trained, you know, fighting forces and intelligence gatherers and everything in the world, arguably. But the the piece that was missing was the systems view, right? Where everybody could talk to each other because people had become so siloed. Um, any any follow on to that or am I just underlining your point? Let's underline it over and over and over again. <laughs> I think we yeah, have it would it, overall, if people don't feel like they have a voice, it does you know a leader doesn't have to act on that voice. They just have to hear the voice and then ensure that they're communicating the reasons why they're doing things and communicate the overall organizational, you know, direction or mission. If if an individual employee doesn't feel safe enough to raise their hand and speak up or ask a question, and sometimes that lack of safety comes from a lack of understanding on the real reasons why things are happening or what is what is my actual purpose in this job and work and what is the purpose of our department and what is the what was motives my leader do every day if i work with another senior manager that says i think my director doesn't do anything for a living i'm i'm just like there's there's such a breakdown in terms of just sharing information but a lot of times when i work with organizations they, they're sharing the wrong information they're going in and doing connection exercises they're they're going in and just delegating work they're going in and looking at the you know the short term and so it's again underlying this idea of communication in terms of also what are you communicating not just how are you communicating it. Can I, can I twist this a little bit and ask? No. Your, uh, <laughs> I, want to, I want to twist it and ask and look at how you do this with people in career coaching. That was my favorite moment when you, he told you no. I know. He tells me no. All I was just communicating. Okay. I was just telling you my truth. <laughs> the leadership is palpable. Like that time that I came to your house and has to look at your special games and you said no. It always comes back to that. All right, Ben. So when we we're talking about communication, um, where do, and I know you, obviously you, we're talking about leadership. We're talking about uh, influence of people. Where do people go wrong in their careers? Like, or in yeah. their, in their trying to get the careers they want, right? This is an area that you really focus on helping people get careers that they love. And right now, I think this is an important conversation right now because the pandemic actually took away a lot of people's careers. So there's those people have an opportunity to reinvent something. They could always go back to what they were doing as things, you know, evolve. And then there's tons of people that are still doing things that they don't want to be doing or they don't love. Mm -hmm. So two main areas that come up for me is one, someone that is unhappy at their current job and wants their current job to work for them. And then also someone that is not in a job and wants to figure out what's next. So initially communication for someone that is in a job, but is unhappy at it really comes to, you know, what is it that they're unhappy about F feeling like they have a little bit more autonomy and control over what it is they do day to day. And, you know, let's let's just skip over the whole step of clarity, understanding what you actually care about, you know, the work you actually love to do, what you're passionate about, what wakes you up, what challenges you want to face in the future. And let's go straight to communication, because if you have that information, this needs to be embedded in your conversations with your manager. This needs to be a part of how, you know, the when you get to meet with your director, what comes up. You have to feel empowered to create meetings with people that are in cross-functional departments or at a higher level than you to share this type of information and share your brand. And a lot of times what I see is people, they work in a position, they're unhappy in that position, 
They're waiting. They're like two feet out the door. They're looking for the next step or hoping to get promoted. And they're not building their their brand and their overall career capital within the position that they're at at the time. So they're missing out on opportunities because they actually are resenting the opportunity that they have when they could be going into work every every single day. They could actually say, I don't want to do this work. I want to work on other projects. I want to delegate this other type of work. And they can be start, they can build relationships within an organization that can lead you to growth faster. They can lead you to new types of work faster. They can lead you to also enjoying the people that you work with. I mean, this this was me. When I was a healthcare executive, I started resenting my organization for not giving me meaning. Like how how silly of an idea when I look back at that. You can't give someone an emotion. It was it was my responsibility to go to my boss and say, this is the type of work that I want to do. I feel like I'm not doing, you know, I, I feel like I'm underutilizing my my potential here. These these are the people that I want to engage with and go have a conversation with them to get up from my desk and go walk the hallways when I could work in the office. And eventually I did that. And a lot of really great things happened because of that. But instead, instead of doing that, I just went to work each and every single day, trying not to work, trying not to have conversations with people that worked around me, because that would mean that I'd have to do more of this stuff I didn't like to do, leaving as early as I could all the time. And so basically I have this black hole in my resume where I if you if I went into an interview tomorrow like tomorrow back then I would have had nothing to say and so you and, and also like what does that do for my future career potential and I think people you know they're so future focused when it comes to their career they forget how much power they have in the present and so that, I'll, I'll stop there for a second before going into like the job list and the unemployed right now underemployed and and see if you guys have any thoughts on that The, f- the first thing that comes to my mind, because I'm with you, is what I think I would have said if back when I was in hospitality and I worked for people and wasn't you know, getting what I wanted from them or the experience or what I hear from other people, which is like, no, you don't know my boss. You don't know, you know, they don't care. They'll tell me, you know, I'll ask for a raise or I'll tell them what I need and They'll say they don't have the resources or, or, you know, whatever, but usually it comes back to like, you don't know my situation or these are the way, this is the way it's always been. So that's, that's where I'm sure you hear that. I'm sure when you work with people, you get, you get that thrown back at you. I have to take this call at nine o'clock at night. I have to work on the weekends. Uh, I, I can't say no to this. I can't delegate this. Uh, this person I really hate working with and so annoyed with them. Well, you know, and it's like I have to meet with them all the time. I have to attend this meeting. And they're all just limiting beliefs that we have. They're, they're beliefs that we've ingrained into ourselves as truths. And why do we want truths that hold us back, that actually drain us, that make our work less enjoyable? And I, I'd say, you know, there are there are so many people that think escaping their job is a solution when really is it's breaking down these beliefs, understanding them, where they came from, understanding that most of them are assumptions. Most of them are built off of blank, like an instantaneous, like in, uh, single event that you've had with somebody and that they're largely responsible for sustaining those beliefs in their life. Like the person that you're having a hard time with at work, you're probably sustaining that hard time, that negative relationship with that individual. And it it's so take that self-acceptance is truly important and i and i promise you if you do the work initially and let's say it doesn't work doing the work itself will gain you greater levels of career capital will build greater relationships for you and make the next step easier because some places are toxic some places are poisonous some leaders are stuck in their ways despite as much as you try to manage up and lead up but then if you build relationships outside of your department you have more opportunity you have more options you can you then if you raise your hand and and volunteer for projects you enjoy you also not only have something to put on your resume and something to talk about but you also will have more energy on a day-to-day basis so we have we have the 
choice, right? To focus on these ne- on these negative beliefs, these limiting beliefs that we have, and to go into work and be drained each and every single day, and then have no energy at all to do anything that we care about. And also, it, it does leak out into our relationships, and so also have more negative relationships. And so, if we sit in this, if we sit in these, and what I would say, our excuses, they hold us back. Instead of being proactive in our career, so instead of being reactive, we're proactive. I think a lot of really great things can happen. And so I'm, I hear you. I get it. Those are I hear them constantly, and there are solutions to each one of those objections that you that you posted. But overall, I think it's what would you prefer to feel on a daily basis at work? What would you prefer to focus on? I know Alex, you're big on this in terms of what emotion are you noticing? Um, how are you framing it? Can you reinterpret it? Can you act a little differently? And so I'm going to get off my soapbox and I'm going to come back to you guys because yeah, this is something I'm just super passionate about. Usually it's like, I don't care. Stop feeling. Let's just get to work. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm totally joking. Well, well, one of the things I love that you, that you brought, and there was a lot that you brought, uh, is the notion of self-leadership. And I think that, you know, Sir John Whitmore sort of coined self-responsibility in the coaching canon anyway, many years ago. and all the self-help literature talks about, right, owning yourself and owning your experience and, you know, self-ownership. So I think that we can agree that everything starts with us being willing to be responsible for our experience, our interpretations, et cetera. And from there, we can take action. I want to also underline a couple of things you said from my real life experience. You know, one is as managers, Obviously, we get into trouble because we've got all these people who won't tell us what's really going on, right? Or what their real passions or issues or whatever it is. And as coaches, we know that anybody who's got one of those issues in the job that you articulated and others, uh, 15 minutes in, will be talking about some issue they've got in their life or or outside of work, right? Are you with me? Did I lose you? No, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I'm awake and paying attention. I'm here. Good. Thanks. So, so I'm, I'm going to weave these together. So there's the whole notion of self-responsibility and actually owning your experience, your desires, your future, and having clarity about that. Hugely important. At the same time, often, not only are we as workers vict- uh, relating to ourselves in a victim role, but even those of us that are management or directors or above can relate to ourselves as victimized by the people under us is what I'm trying to point to. And the, opportunity there is to take that bull by the horns. You know, I'm thinking of when I was in the exciting world of healthcare, uh, I, you know, I kept having to reorient that our competition was not the person down the hall, the person in the chair opposite you or anywhere in your department. The competition was the other healthcare providers, right? I think that you get that. Maybe you had some of that, Alex, in your hospitality career, right? The competition is not the jackass you know, in the kitchen, the competition is the place down the street. That's or the customer, (laughs) (laughs) right? The competition is not the customer, right? Your enemy is not the customer. Beautiful. So that's one thing for us to remember. The other thing is, um, To, uh, the other thing that I'm taking from what you said is that it's so important as employees at any level to make sure that our bosses, supervisors, partners know what we want. I've got these extraordinary powerhouse geniuses that are working in my organization now, and 
if you don't tell me what you want, I'm going to use you for what I need. But if you say, hey, my future is in social justice or my my dream is to work in marketing, then I can tailor your experience and the, think of all the roles that are available and point you to in the ones that will give you more experience and theoretically more joy in doing what you're doing. So um, I think I'm just saying what you said and underlining a couple of real life examples. Can we talk yeah. about about the importance of leadership and how everybody these days that's calling themselves a leader or thinking that they're a leader or taking a leadership course isn't? <laughs> that's right. I'm leaving it right there. That's for you. Hmm. It depends how we define leadership. And, you know, I, I really just say the most important leader is the one that's inside you. So it's hard for me to say, you know, what, if someone is a leader or not a leader, I hope everyone can lead themselves towards whatever it is that they want to lead themselves towards. But we do have a lot of people that are probably saying that they're leaders or trying to be leaders or doubting if they are leaders and are probably just unsure on what leadership really means. And, you know, in my book, being a leader is, is honestly just treating your employees like their clients and getting out of the, the directive dictator authoritative and i think we're there in terms of mentality and what leadership is it's not telling someone what to do it's listening to what they want to do and helping them come up to come to a solution and so i don't think leadership is that complicated i think it really is just showing compassion curiosity and uh, guiding guiding the people that surround you even if they're at a peer level even if they're above you uh, it, it doesn't i don't think it's hierarchical at all uh, but it's helping others come up with a solution while guiding them with your expertise and really listening to them like really listening to them into a way that you would you know listen to someone on a maybe a first date <laughs> that's a good comparison where you're not you're not looking to speak you know you're always looking to looking to listen and guide and so just around you know as i can drill this in again a leader is not uh, is is not based on position it's not based on seniority it really is based on the intention you give someone and the guidance you can offer when uh, you know th to throughout their own growth like if you're not guiding others to grow the organization and an individual i don't know if you can call yourself a leader in my book Tired of presentations with no impact, no inspiration, and no traction? Do dull speakers have you and your team disengaged and distracted by smartphones? Christopher McAuliffe brings energy, insights, and two decades of experience delivered with punch, humor, and heart. Your team will leave energized, uplifted, and with a sense of purpose. Visit ChristopherMcAuliffe.com to bring some heat to your next speaking engagement. M-C-A-U-L-I-F-F-E. ChristopherMcAuliffe.com. Are you seeking to change your career to something that is both fulfilling and challenging? Do you want to help people reach their full potential and strive to achieve their dreams? Would you like to inspire those around you and help create a better world? If you're serious about a career change or just want to explore the craft of personal coaching, contact Accomplishment Coaching with locations across the country in Washington, D.C., Seattle, Chicago, New York City, and San Diego. Accomplishment Coaching is the leading institution in personal coaching. Our staff carefully monitors the entire program live during the training process and have met the strict standards of ICF International to achieve accreditation. Through a focus on quality instruction rather than endless modules of training, Accomplishment Coaching will guide you from your very first step all the way to becoming one of the finest coaches in the world. Visit AccomplishmentCoaching.com to learn more. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. 
Christopher McAuliffe is your source for the latest in the world of personal coaching. Whether it be speaking with such luminaries as Deepak Chopra or getting the newest techniques and innovation, The Coaching Show is always on the cutting edge of what's happening now. The Coaching Show is brought to you by Accomplishment Coaching, home of the world's finest coach training program. Here is Christopher McAuliffe, Master Certified Coach. There's so many places to go from here because I like that you started with you have to lead yourself first. Like if you actually aren't leading yourself, there's nothing else to lead. Um, I think, what do you, you, t- you said something, but then you, there's another aspect that's not being addressed. So you discuss what you believe leadership is, but then there's this other form of leadership that I would relate to as like a dying form like a, a low level consciousness thought pattern that is like the more like dictate, dic, dictatorial, or is that a word? Dictatorial, dictatorial, dictator. Uh, you all know what I mean. Um, or authoritarian, right? Like we actually just tell somebody like how it's going to be, what it's going to be. Um, we've unfortunately seen a lot of that in in some of our more recent history, but it exists, but it occurs like, I relate to it almost like a wolf that has its back against the wall. Like it's clawing to, to, to stay alive, to stay in power. While the, the form of leaderships that you've talked about is kind of evolving and becoming bigger, more powerful. What about those kinds of leaderships though? That authoritarian that still, it, does, it still exists. It's still there. And there's some people that still really want to play that game. I also, I want to say that I like the authoritarian dictatorship style of leadership that I tell you what to do, you get it done, I think is more prominent than maybe we know. I mean, that's, that's why I have clients. I think that despite the research that shows that it's just not as effective, there are organizations that their culture is top down. It's I tell you what to do, you get it done, we work hard, you don't have a say, and you'll move up. And you'll make a lot of money in the process and they retain people because there's other reasons why people work there and they crap, they evolve leaders to have that same type of mentality because that's how the organization has stayed alive. And I think what would, what would take those organizations to not exist is people saying, I don't want to work there. And I think potentially there are enough people in the world, enough employees that think that's what work is like and actually don't mind being told what to do maybe all the time. And not having to sit and, you know, come up with solutions themselves and and make money and go to work and go home. So as as much as like I would say, you know, this is the style of leadership that I believe in, like there's also potentially a a time and a place for that, for the this is what we need to do right now. And even in organizations that do have, I think, powerful leadership that is focused on, I think, uh, like adding a human touch to it. it doesn't mean that you don't have fire drills where you have to go and tell people what to do and you maybe skip over the, you know, why we're doing it. I think, I think you can tell people what to do uh, as long as the, the mission and the culture and the trust is there within an organization without a lot of negativity, a lot of, without like a lot of consequences. Um, and it is needed at times. So I don't want to, I don't want to skip over that. I'll pause. See if you guys have anything else to add to that. Um, yeah, I think it's about what I hear you saying is it sounds like it's about being right. Like the way that you, I can, if I'm a leader in an organization or a group, I can tell people what to do 
or give instruction. And that can be the form of leadership you're talking about. If the way I do it, if there's a, well, if there's. So, uh, so real quick, like I had a, a, a recent client and we're working on evolving his leadership style because he wants to be less, less, I tell you what to do. You, and the reason why you just also want to just say it's Christopher, it's okay. <laughs> well, it's also because usually people that I tell you what to do also do more work because they haven't empowered their employees to do the work for them. And so you have leaders usually that are authoritarians are actually very stressed and very and, and actually don't have very good work life balance because they're doing more of the work they haven't empowered their employees. And so luckily, this leader through working together, he, he realized that. And so he's been empowering his employees to do more of the work. And he said, you know, he called me up the other day and he's like, Ben, we had this fire drill last night and I, ha I had to tell people what to do. And he felt bad about it. He felt guilty because he's doing this work on himself. And I go, look. Fire drills are fine. Like this is needed. This is your expertise. This is why you're the CEO. This is why you're in the position that you're in. But you can use this fire drill after the fact to then role play with your other leaders and help them get up to speed. Because in the future, you don't want to get a call in the middle of the night to handle the situation, at least from what I understand. And so, you know, talking to all the leaders that are that are listening, like what sort of life do you want? Do you want it so that you can literally step out of your, your organization? Because you're not going to be able to, you actually won't be able to do that if you have the type of leadership style where people are waiting to be told what to do and if they're afraid to do something because they if they if they act without your say that they're going to get in trouble and it's not going to be accepted so i think that's even a bigger a bigger part of all this i feel i can't tell if christopher has something he's on mute i can't tell if he has something or he's taking this too personally or what's going on. <laughs> always i always have something always <laughs> I appreciate that that call forward. I also love what you said before about authoritarian, you know, hierarchical uh, leadership is way more prevalent than we think. Hence, you having a job. Um, and I'm I'm struggling with the the question that I want to ask because, like you, I've experienced a lot of times that that's been important, right? Somebody to say, I mean, I mean, I think we could agree that a CEO's job ultimately is priorities right? Culture, maybe, and priority. Mm -hmm. And so in, you know, I, I can pull a lot of threads here. One is, one is that the delicate piece of leadership is instilling it so much, going back to your first points, through communication, through making sure that there's community built, that people, A, trust you, and B, are enrolled in or excited about the vision that you've created or the, or the intention that you present, the opportunities that you see in the direction you're headed. The other thing is that um, you, you keep pointing to the people who are unhappy in those situations. And I wanna, and I wanna keep pointing to leadership as, I think the important piece of, of leadership is to make sure that you're in touch with the people. Like communication I heard was, the, was one of the first things. And I'm thinking about all the leaders that I've known that, that made mistakes, and almost all of them were issues in communication. What are the leadership mistakes that you're seeing? I love how you pulled this back to leadership. I think one of the biggest mistakes that I see from leaders that want to be better is not even external, it's internal. They don't believe that they're a leader. They don't believe that they're good enough. And that impacts everything from how they engage with their employees, um, how they how they structure communication, 
uh, how they feel on a day-to-day -day basis. And if you walk into a meeting and you don't, you don't feel confident as a leader, everybody, everybody feels that in the room. So if you, if you are flustered, if you feel super stressed, I think it's you know, one of the biggest mistakes I see is just the leader's not a brand of a leader. Like they can, you can be authentic. You can be personal. You can say that there are struggles because I think that's part of communication. Uh, but it, if you're not a, if you're not showing up in a way that empowers and motivates the people around you, I think that's part of your responsibility as a leader. You need to be a source of light, not a source of darkness. And so if someone's coming to you and they're frustrated and they're resentful, it's important to listen, but also important not to feed. And so I see that as a big, a big mistake from leaders. Uh, I think also uh, another mistake that I see pretty regularly is I mean, taking this a step back from communication is just the lack of clarity on their own vision for the employees that they have within their department and for themselves and for the organization. Because if you don't have that clarity of vision, then you're not going to be able to build that trust and have that communication. Uh, I, you know, it's, it's realizing that you are not just yourself as a leader, you are every single one of your employees and that their vision needs to be your vision and that your role is to help them evolve. And just to take this a little bit more detailed, you know, communication styles like this. So this idea of, I'd like to say for every one thing that you have to tell someone to do, you should have three other aspects of conversation of communication with that individual. Even if it's just saying hi or asking them about their day, or it, you really have to avoid having this, you work for me type of relationship. If you want to also build the culture of, of trust and in communication within a department itself. Uh, one other thing, I guess, would be to understand that as a leader, one of your main roles is to really know everything that's going on within an organization itself, as well as with your team. And so you are the conduit. You're, I mean, it's so funny. You're basically like an operator and people I think people think they're a leader and they're doing this amazing brainstorming and strategic work. And, you know, they get to the, get to the job and they're doing payroll submissions and, and they're, they're realizing that they're just relaying information, but it's relaying information is one of the most critical pieces of being a leader. And so often I see a leader protect information because they're scared of how their team is going to react or they're, they're unsure on who to actually communicate to. And so I think that's also another really, really big piece. It's not how you communicate. It's not the culture of communication, but it's also, you know, are you actually sharing information that needs to be shared? I was working with an organization the other, uh, the other week and they're going through some restructuring and they've decided to share with their employees that they're going through a restructuring, but no details about that restructure. And so it's just like, okay, hold on a second. Let's actually unpack that to see if, you know, what the reasons were behind that, because what you're doing is you're creating a culture of ambiguity within your organization and, or, and that ambiguity is going to bleed into mistrust. And then that's going to impact productivity and potentially retention, et cetera. The one thing yeah. I didn't, the one piece I didn't hear, and maybe it's built in there, um, that I notice I find missing is, is responsibility. Um, sorry, not is, is like a hundred percent responsibility that, you know, if it's my organization and even if like, let's just say the lowest and low, isn't the right word, but let's say the, the, as we go down the, the chain of leadership or command or whatever we're doing at the bottom, my, the newest employee, we could even say like the intern, the intern makes a mistake. The responsibility still falls. I believe on the, the CEO, the president, whoever is in charge, 
because it's theirs. It's their, it's their company, it's their business. And what I noticed is a lot of, we've gotten away from that. You know, we'll, we'll, people are, are blaming their employees or not taking responsibility or like, well, that person wasn't trained well. We hear these things. Where does that work in? How does, response, how does responsibility fall into the paradigm for you in terms of leadership? Overall, I think we're, we're responsible and accountable, period. I think so this idea of I want people to feel empowered, to be accountable and responsible for their own levels of job satisfaction and career fulfillment, period. And that also goes for leaders. And you can broaden that and say for organizations, as a CEO, you are accountable and responsible for the outcomes of your organization and how you feel on a daily, on a, on a, you know, a daily basis. And I want to take a step back because you're not responsible exactly for the outcomes of your organization because that's an external achievement, but you are responsible at least for the culture of your organization in a way. And you may not be able to control the direct outcomes, but you can you can control reactions to those outcomes. So for example, if that intern messes up, do you know, how do you, what is the consequence of, of that mistake? And, you know, after the fact, as a leader, the consequence happened, you have to react to whatever that is, but you can also use that as an opportunity to grow that intern. And so, uh, you know, when you think about, I'm a CEO of an organization, my people are my responsibility because their productivity is my responsibility. I would, I would say, let's just maybe change the word responsibility to, you know, am I proud of my company? Am I proud of the outputs? Am I proud of the people that are here? And the solution isn't, you know, sometimes it's new people, but the solution isn't telling people what to do to be proud of their outputs. It's working with those people, understanding those people, uh, integrating those people, building the community back to this idea of community to be able to be proud because uh, when it comes to, when it, when it comes to work overall, and I think a lot of leaders might know this, and if you've ever worked at a position, you know that some people are doing work and some people aren't. So I, I can't 100% say that like a CEO is directly responsible for the output and productivity of their employees at all times because their people are different. People have off days, on days, people are working for different reasons. But I think it is, it is their responsibility to understand as much as possible and try to weed out who's there for the, for the, for the reasons that, that the organization wants them to be there. And so I guess there's that level of responsibility and there's that idea of can I be proud of the people that are working for me? Man, so much gold in everything that you've just shared. I'm, um, I'm also thinking about some of the challenges I've got as a CEO of an organization. And I love what you just gave us about, you know, some people are doing work, some people won't, some people have off days. I've got a, and what we're attached to as leaders. So for example, I've got somebody who is working in the business operations part of my company. And man, I don't think they're doing it at all the right way. But the result is exactly where I want it to be. Do you know what I mean? And so I like I uh, after several years of the annual review where I'm like, you know, you're doing a great job in terms of the results, but I really feel like you should do it this way. And God bless this person because they keep doing it their own way. 
you know, like, yeah, okay, I'll see you next year. Right. <laughs> and then go back to doing it their own way. And I sometimes, you know, really buckle down, like how come they're not doing it my way, but I got to, as a leader, look and see what's important. Is it important that this person feels respected, appreciated, and approved of for how they're doing what they're doing when the result is what I want, or is it more important for me to be right about the method of doing it? So thanks for that. Uh, and I trust that maybe somebody got something out of that for themselves. What's the what's the biggest issue that you see around trust in organizations? Is it people at the top not trusting people? Is it people not being trustworthy or is it people not like where's the where's the breakdown in trust and how do we address it? I think that's a whole episode. It's a, such a big question, I think, with a lot of moving parts. Overall, we can. So the cop out answer is communication. You can just say that, like, does the person understand what's going on, why it's going on and and such. But I think a more fuller answer would entail. Does an employee believe that the organization wants the best for them? And is the employee does the employee have a mentality that they're not there just to get to the next stage in their career? And I can't tell you how often I've heard people, they get a new job and they say, this is just the place I'm going to be for a year. And they're a high achiever. They're crushing it. And they're high. And so they know that the organization isn't going to retain them, be able to hold them on unless we kind of change how we treat those employees, how we grow those employees, the opportunities we offer those employees. And so, you know, disclaimer, does this mean that there's a lack of trust? If if someone is going in and not wanting to stay, because I'm equating trust to this idea of retaining employees, but that employee might still do a really good job. So I guess maybe taking a couple of steps back and saying, you know, trust is is following through with the expectations that you have placed on yourself or that have been presented to you overall. And any time that you go against those expectations between maybe not working, not showing up in a way you said you're going to show up an or an organization going behind employees back and hiding certain things based on certain expectations that they set. Like that's, that's when trust breaks down. And, you know, we, we work with leaders a lot, or I work with leaders a lot. And one of the things I say is no matter, you know, whenever you, when I work with clients on this is that whenever you uh, do anything, ask a question for an employee, you build, you know, you, you try to personalize, create a human touch with them and you get information. If you're not following up on that information, it was better off not asking the question. It was, it was better off not finding that information, not making that connection because now you've reset your expectations within, within the department as a leader. And you now have the responsibility, I guess, Alex, there's the word to follow through on that. I want to ask you where the time has like flown by, but I want to ask you a, a question specifically for the coaches that are listening. Um, because I know you personally, I know you've built a pretty extraordinary business, um, ton of speaking gigs, ton of events. You're, you're always presenting out, you know, somewhere you have a great client practice, you have books, you do a podcast at times, you create special events. <sighs> If there was looking back and you've now been doing this, you said like 10 years, if you were looking back over the course of, if you're looking back over the course of the last 10 years, what would be like one or two things that you would give to, you know, the new coaches, the coaches that are having that, like, Hey, how do I get these like speaking gigs? How do I get these, these kind of corporate, you know, contracts? What would you, what would you, what would you have wanted to know yourself five, six, seven years ago? 
Well, so I've been doing this for five years. Before that, I was in a different coaching practice. So I learned a lot in my first coaching practice, for sure, in a different industry. And, you know, one of the main things is if you want to do something, right, just take action and do it. Stop planning. Right? If, if, if you say you have a coaching practice and you're not coaching, you have a hobby. So I, I'd say find as many ways as possible to get experience and get practice and take action within the space that you're in. And to that point, I have, I think, three or four streams of revenue. So, I, you know, and that's really important to me. It's been really important in my career. It might be just be because that's how I grew up. You know, my father had, you know, was always fixing houses and selling houses and always, you know, doing random jobs. And so I've always, I've always seen the, I've always seen the benefit of not being constrained to one specific thing, but that doesn't mean that those things aren't related. So I think one of the biggest mistakes that new coaches make is they think their coaching practice is going to grow in, in three to six months to a point where they can never have to worry about money or client acquisition ever again. And they can give up prospecting and all that jazz. And, you know, you can get your first clients, you can build a, a decent business platform and have processes, but the sustainability of that is going to take some time. And, you, you know, you're being able to get certain speaking gigs and have people find you, not just from referrals and to really build a brand online is going to take some time. So knowing that it's going to take some time, what are other things that you can invest your time in that are going to build greater brand credibility, greater skill sets within the space that are going to bring in money that you can do? And you can you can find these all the time. And those things that you do not only bring in more money and build greater skill sets, they expand your network. So if you're showing up in these spaces as, as a credit, as a coach, I'm a coach this is what I do. This is who I serve. And your message is, is succinct and you don't change it and you change it. If it's not landing, you, you, you wait until it lands, wait until you get a couple of clients, I think. And then, and then, you know, your messaging is, is landing. Uh, then, then you can start showing up in a way in every single networking conversation in every single contract job in every single, maybe even another full-time job as, as that coach, so that you can then build a practice. I, I had a call with a, another business owner the other day of a different coaching practice and company. And she got all her clients because in her graduate program, she knew she wanted to be a coach and she told everyone that she was a coach and her entire practice was built off of all her class, all her classmates. And so I think one of the biggest things I would have told myself before is one, make sure that what you're doing, you care about. Cause my first coaching practice I did because someone asked me to start to do it. And it was something I was good at. not something that I really cared about. And so I always felt kind of it wasn't the right fit. So make sure that your messaging is clear. You care about it. You're passionate about it. You're serving the clients that really mean something to you. So then when you are networking, when you are being consistent, when you are trying to build this practice, you're not wasting time. And everything you're doing is going to build more and more into the next stage because this is a process. It's going to take more than three months and six months. So are you committed to it? Are you motivated to it? And, and to that point, make sure it's, you know, again, make sure it's something you care about. It's so great to meet you, to talk to you, to be with you. I think the messages that you bring are so important and so well-crafted. I'm just really grateful for your time. That's Dr. Benjamin Ritter. How can the people find you? Where should they look and, and how can people work with you? So if you've opened up, if, if you're trying to find me and you go into a closet and it's filled with board games, you're in the wrong place. So you, <laughs> you, you can type... <laughs> You can, you can type in Dr. Benjamin Ritter into Google and you get a bunch of stuff about me, but you can connect with me on LinkedIn. And also, if you want to check out my coaching services, go to liveforyourselfconsulting.com. Just like how it sounds, liveforyourselfconsulting.com. You're muted. muted, Chris. Christopher, you're, Christopher, you're muted. You're saying a whole lot of amazing things. Amazing things. I was blown away.
this is my first time using Zoom. I'm very excited. It's a very exciting time for a young man. Uh, what I meant to say is you're also very generous. You are giving our listeners today uh, something something delicious. How? What is it and how, how can people get it? It's uh, home home baked cookies, fr- fr- freshly baked chocolate chip cookies. You can just so nice. come, come over to my house. Uh, so I believe it's it's probably the the free manual to creating a career that you love. And so if you is that it? It's, it is now. Okay. <laughs> well, it could be anything you want it to be. I'm not sure, but it. So whatever it is, add this to the mix. And I can give you a link so people can just go and sign up for that. It's pretty Very good. And that'll be in the show notes today. I thank you so much. I want to give you the, the opportunity for a final shot, a parting thought or a parting shot for our thousands of uh, coaches listening today or three. Uh, what would you have our listeners walk away with or contemplate or chew on today? Mm-hmm. What you want to do today is probably not what you're going to do tomorrow. And the first business that you start probably isn't going to be the last business, especially if you're an entrepreneur. So remember, because of that, have fun and make sure that you're doing things that align with your core values so that when you do end up maybe pivoting, changing your mind or growing in a way that you didn't expect that you've or you've basically built a certain level of career capital and a brand that can carry forward. Beautiful. Perfect. That's Dr. Benjamin Ritter. Look him up in the Google. Very important. Very popular, I understand. Or go to Live For Yourself Consulting. Spell it all out. LiveForYourselfConsulting.com. Thank you so much for your time today and being with us and for your expertise. Alex Terranova is a professional certified coach. You can find him on the DreamMason.com or the DreamMason podcast. Also pick up a copy of his book, Fictional Authenticity. Got anything else you want to promote? Tell the people about or, or shill to the humans? The other book, Redefining Masculinity, is the new one that just came out. That is a book I would love to have people go pick up. It's me and about eight other authors on our thoughts on masculinity and and whatnot. Um, we just lost Ben. He just ran. He just he just ran away from us. He has to go. The man is busy. He's important. He's, 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 Not he's, like he's, you and me. We can't. He um, can't just. He wastes a around. lot of time working on things with me. I don't know what he's doing. Um, but yeah, uh, Redefining Masculinity. Um, that, that's what I would love for people to go check out. Love to read. I'd love to get people's thoughts and comments, uh, you know, not only on the book, but on my chapter. All right, good. Thank you very much for being with us. And uh, again, people can reach you at thedreammason.com and reach out and find out about your coaching services and other things, including your daily walk on the beach, which you uh, give us on the Insta and the Facebook and all the things. Uh, I thank you, dear listener, for being with us again. It's the coaching show each and every week, bringing you people out on the cutting edge of coaching, people you need to know about, interesting folks, just stuff you need to know right here on Accomplishment Media or wherever your podcasts are coming from. I thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next week. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to The Coaching Show. We will talk to you next week.